Well, Merry Christmas. Good to see everybody. Glad you're with us. If you're a guest, thanks for coming. Um, let me, let me, can I start with a question for you? Uh, raise your hand if you ever ran away. Did you ever run away from home? Yeah? Did you ever think about it? Yeah? Hey, if you're an adult, do you ever like think about it more now than you did when you were a kid? <laughs> for sure, right? Yep. Um, hey, I, I found this on the web. Check it out. I love this little note this little girl wrote to her, her mom. This is from Sarah. She says, I ran away, not because you're mean or anything. I only wanted to meet the Spice Girls. So that's why she ran away. It's like, I guess that's what she really, really, really wanted. Um, anyway, here's another one. I love this. Check this out. This is, I am running away because you think I farted when I didn't. P.S. You're mean. <laughs> Thing stunk at their house, I guess he had to get out of there. So, you know, our, our little boy Nathan, he was about this age or so. Uh, he's normally a very, very uh, even keeled, uh, well mannered kid, but he, I don't know, got upset about something or worried or afraid. I don't know what, what got into him, but he, he announced to us he was going to run away. Being the good parents we are, we said, can we help you pack? And uh, he said, sure. So we're literally helping him. You know, he had a little like a bandana. He liked to tie it in, put on a stick and stuff. We put some food in there. And, and uh, through the time that it took to get him ready to go, he kind of softened a little bit. And uh, so at the end of the time, uh, Carla's like, are you ready to go? He's like, yep. And so then she says to him, well, could I come with you? And he's like, well, sure. So, isn't it interesting sometimes the thing that you feel like running away from is sometimes the thing you want the most? Anyway, uh, there they went down the driveway and spent some time over in the grove of trees. And uh, after he got worked out in his little spirit, whatever he needed to work out, um, he did what he wanted to do and what I believe every one of us wants to do. Uh, He came home. He came home. I want to talk to you about coming home this Christmas. Uh, Coming home. Because uh, little kids aren't the only ones who run away or find themselves kind of lost. I think every one of us knows what it's like to find yourself in a place in your life or a season of your life where you're not exactly maybe even sure how you got there or where exactly you are, but you know it's not home or where you want to be. And this is especially true, I think, spiritually, isn't it? Now, we all know what it's like to move away from God. And whether we know it or like it or not, the truth of the matter is we're all created by God for a connection, a close relationship with God. And yet, we wander. The truth of our experience is just echoed by Scripture, like places like Isaiah 53 that says, you know what, we're all of us, all of us, this is so much my life right here. We have strayed away just like lost sheep. That is my life. We have all left God's path to follow our own ways. There's a part of me that really longs to be close to God and connected to God, and we're, we're walking closely with God, and yet I'm like a sheep. We're all kind of like sheep that have gone astray, the Bible says. And sheep, you know, are a good example because sheep are stupid, <laughs> Sheep are stubborn, sheep sheep are sinky. Well, I guess that doesn't fit, but it does fit for some of us. So whether we drift over time, and some of us do that, or whether we dart away like a sheep because we're convinced that there's some greener grass somewhere else, we all find ourselves kind of disconnected from God in different ways, maybe just because we're dumb and do stupid things, or some of us are convinced we don't need a shepherd. I, uh, you know, I'm a rational, reasonable human being. I don't, I don't see that I need uh, or can need to go in for this 
supernatural or, or higher power kind of stuff. Some of us want to live as Christians. We just have found ourselves growing cold over time. Like inside, there's something that's just not fresh and alive toward God that used to be. Every one of us. There's an old song. The words really sum it up for us. An old hymn that says this, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That, that's just it. I, I love God and want to connect, and yet I'm prone to wander. And so whether it's because of your circumstances and you blame God or you're bitter toward God or something like that or because of choices you've made or habits or friends or whatever the case may be, whether you've drifted or whether you've darted or, or, or been in deliberate or not, the fact is all of us have gone astray. There are college students here tonight who are in a weird place spiritually. There are high school students who have a lot of unknowns about your future and, and, the, and one of those unknowns is whether this God thing is real and you're gonna, what you're going to do with it. There are midlife people, homemakers and career execs and stay-at-homes and everyone else and retired people who are either confused, lost, disjointed, disinterested, or somehow not connected to God in a way that would feel like home. And this Christmas, what I would like to do is invite you, whoever you are, home. Come home. Come home to a connection with God. That's really the whole point of Christmas, in a way. No matter who you are. The good news of great joy okay, that the angels were talking about is that Jesus came here to make his home with us so that we could find our home with him. So no matter how far you've gone or how long you've been gone or what you did when you were gone, even if a lot of people don't even know that you're gone because your whole life looks the same on the outside, but inside you're hollowed out, come home. You can come home. Home is powerful, isn't it? Home, this idea of home, man, that's powerful. That concept, it does things inside. You know, um, when I was little, I remember playing hide-and-seek you know, with my cousin Phil up north in Minnesota at the cabin. I remember one time, he's it, so we're all, you know, he's counting down to 100, and we're all running to hide. I run over to the wood pile. There's these two stacks of wood, and I was able, as a little guy, to wiggle between these two stacks, and I'm pulling pieces of, of wood on top of me and around me. It's like, I'm, as you're, as you're, sometimes you just find those killer hiding places, you know, like you know, this is, a, this is gold, no one's going to find me. And so I, it, it was just, in fact, he's snickering out loud to myself, like, this is awesome, you know. So I can see that little hole, 98, 99, 100. Ready or not, here I come. There goes Phil. He's over by the outhouse. He's down by the dock. He's over. He walks right by me. I'm like, he's never going to find me. He's never going to find me. And he's walking around. And after a while, it dawns on me, he's never going to find me. You know? <laughs> he walks by a couple more times. And eventually, I just kind of, kind of stuck my foot out a little bit. He walks by, he's like, oh, I see your fault. And he's running back, tags, gets in you're it, ha, ha, ha. Come up, brushing myself off. Oh, shoot, you found me. What did I really want? I wanted what we all want, to get found. Even though that isn't really the game that I was playing. And that's, that's a lot like our situation in life, isn't it? Home is powerful. Coming home is powerful. You don't believe me? You ever seen those videos of military service personnel when they return home from a tour of duty? Huh? You think about the power of home. Watch this and think about the power and connection of home. Watch this. To the place where love 
can't watch that. It always gets me right there. And you know, part of the reason it gets us right there is that the joy of the one coming home and the joy of the one waiting is so powerful. And that reconnection and that reconciliation, that reuniting, you know why? One of the reasons it's so powerful is that it points to the longing we all have for the ultimate reconnection. It, it's one of, it connects to that longing our hearts have to be reconnected to God and that ultimate homecoming. That's why it's so powerful. We all wander. We all want to go home in the most important ways. And the Bible, there's an old writer that says our hearts are restless until they rest in God. That's the whole purpose of Christmas. That's why Jesus came. That's the, that's the whole deal. That, you know, we start with sometimes we want to talk about angels and shepherds and baby Jesus and all that. Let's just skip forward 30 years to hear from Jesus himself. Luke chapter 19, here's what Jesus himself said. He said, I'm the son of man and I came. I'll tell you why I came. I'll tell you what Christmas is about. I came to seek and to save the lost. Ready or not, here I come. And in, in 2,000 years ago, it, while all of us are playing this global game of hide and seek, Jesus came, born of a woman, while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and, and Caesar Augustus put out a decree that, that this woman had a baby, and the angels announced, this is the Son of God. Good news of great joy for all people. Amazing. A Savior is born to you who's Christ the Lord. Ready or not, here I come. That, that's why Jesus came. So if you were once closer to God than you are now, if you, if you have wandered from the Lord, if your heart is hardened and jaded and, and kind of crudded up inside from all the garbage in the world, if you're lonely and just discouraged in a deeper way and you're not quite sure what to do about it, if you're just trying to get through on your own, if you have never been religious at all, and there's a part of you, though, that is wondering if you're missing something. If you are an atheist with doubts, but you have a nagging sense that you maybe ought to be doubting some of your doubts. If you are a believer who's just kind of been drifting. If you're indifferent to the whole thing, but wonder if there's more. Christmas is your time to come home. Come home. You know, when we get to Christmas, we typically want to start with, like I say, the angels and the shepherds. And the... Let's, let's skip forward and hear from Jesus himself, not from the manger, but as a teacher. I want to share a story that he shared because all of us are in the story. It's found over Luke chapter 15. A lot of you know the story. And it's going to help us be able to identify some really important things about each of our lives, okay? So let's just hear from Jesus a little bit. It's Luke chapter 15. A lot of you maybe have heard this story. This one's about a dad who had two sons. And they both have problems. The, the younger son in particular thinks he's got a lot of problems. Everyone's got problems. You've got problems. The person next to you's got a problem. For some of you, the person next to you is your problem. Whatever. We've got a lot of problems, all right? This boy had a problem. He says, I've got to get out of here. 
I'm leaving. I'm done. I don't want to live with dad. I don't want to live here with my stupid brother. I got to get out of here. One of the things that happens when we sometimes have a problem, one of the ways we sometimes deal with it is we try to run from it. And that's what this boy did. Check it out. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, listen to this, father, give me, give me my share of the estate. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. I want what I want, what I got coming to me. I want the estate. Never mind you hear the arrogance? You hear the pride? You hear the sort of gimme? I want what I got coming to me. Never mind that it took you and your dad and your dad's dad generations to get it. I want what's coming to me. And we can see ourselves right away in this story sometimes, can't we? There's selfishness and arrogance and pride. He probably got a third of the inheritance. It was a way of saying, Dad, I don't care about you. You only got your inheritance when your dad died. So he's basically saying, your dad, you're dead to me. And he's pushing against his dad's authority. He didn't want to live there. We don't like authority. We don't like to live under authority. We don't like anyone who tells us what to do. We want to be able to do what we want to do, when we want to do it. We don't even like to live in families because there's rules and things you've got to do to get along. We don't even like that. We push back against authority. When the angel said, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. The word Lord means boss of me. And we love the whole Savior part. We just have a trouble with the boss of me part. And that's why we wander sometimes. We want to do what we want to do. So we're all kind of rebellious in our spirit. We all kind of push back against God and his wisdom and his truth. And you don't have to teach that to us. We all, we, all, we all are that way, okay, everybody. It's not just like some jerks and some nice people. It's like, no, everyone's this way. This is why you don't have to teach your kids how to be nasty. They already know. You don't say, here, here, honey, I know you're going to preschool. It's a big, big step for you, so I want to make sure you know how to bite someone. Here's what you do, honey. You grab their arm, and you just plant your teeth like this, and you just clamp down, honey. That's how you do it. You don't have to teach her that. She knows. She'll figure it out. Honey, here's how you throw a tantrum in Walmart. You stand up in the cart, and you scream and wave your arms. Come on, you do it. I want to show you. Come on. No, you... no they'll figure that out on their own. Because we're all like that. We all kind of have a sort of, I want what's mine, and I'm going to do what I want to do, spirit about us. And we learn it from an early age. It's just kind of who we are. And that's what this kid had going for him, too. He's just like us. And God just typically gives us what we want. You want to push back? He's like, he's not going to fight you. He's going to let you go. And off we go. And this boy discovered what all of us discover eventually, and that is that when we're kind of pushing back against God being in charge, we're really separating ourselves from what we want the most, which is provision, his blessing, his love, his presence. You can't leave God's authority and not leave the rest of it. Verse 13, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. I'm getting way out of here. And there he squandered his wealth, <laughs> not his wealth, his dad's wealth, punk, in wild and reckless living. Now, there's a loaded phrase. The Bible's got all these kind of understated things. You can kind of fill in the blanks. This guy went to where? Vegas, Atlantic City? I don't know. You fill in the blanks. This guy figured out how to spend a lot of that money in a hurry in wild and reckless living. That's just a code word for he lived it up. He had sin. You know, that may sound exciting to you. It may sound painful to you, depending on your past experience, probably. I remember one time hearing a a preacher talk about this when I was a kid, you know, at a summer camp, and he's kind of talking about this. He gets this part about, and the boy went off, and he lived in wild and reckless living. And he said, you know, preachers always talk funny when they're talking to kids, like, now you listen to me, kids. You listen to me. That boy went off, and he lived in wild and reckless living. And then he says, he says something like this. He said, now, kids, listen. Sin is not fun. 
I remember sitting there as a high schooler thinking, sin is not fun. This guy, I mean, he's doing it wrong. I mean, <laughs> of course it's fun. Absolutely it's fun. I mean, the Bible actually says sin is pleasurable for a season. For a season. But that's the enticing part. That's the draw. It delivers something that feels gratifying in the short. But then, you know, the thing with sin is when we go our own way, it always, always, always comes around and bites us in the butt real hard. And then sin is hell. Then sin is prison. Then sin is not fun. Then sin drains us and hurts us and alienates us and frustrates us and makes us need more and want less. Sin is fun, but the consequence is not so much. There's nobody on the planet that is an exception to that rule. Because all sin is, is it's not like doing a no-no on someone's naughty list. Sin is running from the Father. Sin is separating yourself, and then we end up separating ourselves from the love and the blessing and the provision of God, which are the things we're really looking for when we go running off to a far country. So this guy's having fun, and he's thinking to himself, what could go wrong? What could happen, you know? My buddy Perry is telling about time he's home rub, uh, on the couch with his wife. Kids are in bed, and he starts rubbing her feet. I'm a big fan of rubbing feet. I think it's an awesome thing. I think husbands should do it for their wives. I'll just say it. Christmas gift. Every husband who has a wife, you should rub her feet before Christmas. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah? That was a very feminine amen right there. <laughs> the lady's like, oh, he's preaching now. Yeah, I love this church. Listen, honey. Honey. <clears throat> whatever. So Perry's rubbing, rubbing his wife's feet and he's like, he's working it. You know, he's like love is in the air. You know, he's like, where are you getting the lotion and doing the toes? And she's giving him the look and he's already high-fiving himself like, this is going to be a good night. <laughs> rubbing the feet. And pretty soon she's giving him the look and he's giving her the look and they're rubbing the feet. And she's like, I think I'll just slip upstairs and take a little shower and put on something more comfortable. And he's like, you do that. <laughs> Pitter pitter up the stairs. Here's a shower go on. He's down there just like, I'm the man. <laughs> and then he, a second later, he hears this sound. <laughs> and he's like, What was that? I hope she didn't slip and fall in the shower. I better go check on her. He goes upstairs and he goes into the bathroom. He pulls the curtain back. And there's his wife on the floor of the shower. What happened? I fell. You all right? Yeah. What happened? She says, well, remember that lotion you put on my feet? (laughs) As soon as I got in here, my feet went out from under me, and I went right down. So his plans changed for the night. Their plans changed for the night. So he'd rubbed her feet, he'd sweet-talked her, but then it led to a fall. <clears throat> and some of you are doing your own thing, you think life's not so bad, you're running from God, you're doing whatever you want to do and you're living it up and you think it's going great, but Satan's just rubbing your feet. He's just rubbing your feet. And I don't know, I've been around this a long time, I can tell you, I don't know when, but you're due for a fall. You're on slippery territory, and you know it. It feels uneasy. Don't let the devil rub your feet. He's just setting you up. And it's going to come, and it's going to happen. That's what happened to this boy. He squandered everything away, felt great, then wham. Verse 14. After he had spent everything. Are you serious? Yes, it cost him everything. It cost him everything. 
Suck the life out of them. You ever heard an old pastor say this line, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll make you stay longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. That's what this boy experienced. Once the enemy gets us away from the presence of the Father, we find ourselves doing things we never dreamed we would do. Anybody ever relate to that? You know, you said, I'll never do that. And then you just find yourself, it's just what happens. It kind of drifts into it. This is what happened to this boy. Look at this, verse 13, verse 15. So he went out and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his own stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. This guy's in a pig pen. He's ready to eat. Here's what pig slop looks like, y'all. Okay, I don't know what it looks like. It looks like a pile of poop to me. But you have to be pretty hungry to say, that looks better than what I got, which is nothing. And that's where the boy was. And don't miss the fact, this is a Jewish story to a Jewish boy. Okay, so pigs are like the most unclean, detestable thing in the world. Pig farmers, the lowest of the low. They didn't sprinkle bacon on their cupcakes. Okay, we're talking no pigs. And this boy is like, I'm never going to do that. But here he is at the worst of the worst and the bottom of the bottom. And when you get there, who do you usually blame? Everybody. Stupid old brother, stupid dad, stupid God. Where are you, God? Sometimes I wonder if God just wants to say, I'm right where I was when you wandered off, waiting for you to come home. I love the next verse because it introduces the sort of hopeful part of this story. We can all identify with this first part of the story. I hope you identify with the second part. Verse 17, I love it. Look at what it says. When the boy, when he, say it with me, came to his senses. Can you hear a bell? Ding. Epiphany. Wake up call. Reality check. All of a sudden, some of the truth that was already there the whole time comes bubbling up through the fuzziness of his present experience into the frontal lobe of his brain. And he's like, I see clearly now the rain is... He gets it. He figures out what's going on. I love that. Every summer, we go up north to Minnesota. We love water skiing, do a lot of water skiing. My brother's got a great boat. So we do a lot. One of the things we love as much as water skiing is teaching other people to water ski. It's a lot of fun to watch newbies. And we had this buddy up here a couple years ago. His name's Josh, big old boy. We're like, Josh... Let's take you skiing. He's like, oh, no, you're never going to get me up. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a challenge. Yeah, we teach everybody. Come on, Josh. Like, okay, whatever. So you tell him the 10 things to remember, you know, get in the water, you know, keep your tips up, spread your legs, bend your legs, you know, hit, you know, when the, let the boat pull you up out. When we say hit it, we're just going to come. You'll pop right up out, and you might have a little rough time, but you'll get it. You know, okay, he's got it. So he's way back there, 75 feet. Joe, you ready? Okay, here we go. Hit it. Joe hits it. Big old boat. We're pulling out. And we're looking, and is he up yet? I can't tell. I can't tell. All we see is a big white mass of foam coming behind the boat. And you don't want to give up too quick because if he's still struggling, you want to keep going. It's like, hit, keep, keep going, Joe. Keep going. But I can't tell. What we didn't know is that Josh, as soon as Joe said hit it, had fallen forward. And his skis are off. His shorts are down at his ankles. He's got like nine gallons of water in his face. He's just, he's hating this experience. Like getting dragged around the lake. Just, I'm like, keep going, Joe. I, I think he might be about ready to pop up any second. Then all of a sudden, Josh has an epiphany. He has a clear thought that comes into his head. Do you know what the thought was that Josh had? Yes, let go of the rope, which he did. And everything changed for Josh in that instant. Everything gets better when you let go of the rope. 
He realized he didn't have to stay there. That's how we are in our lives. Friends, I hope that's exactly what happens to you tonight, is that some of you will just let go of the rope and realize, I I don't have to be here. I don't understand why this keeps happening. I don't understand how this happened. I'm just sitting, as a pastor, I can't tell you. If you hear me just say to you sometime, well, you just let go of the rope, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's not a big mystery how we sometimes end up where we are. And that's what the boy realized. I don't have to stay here. Sometimes you got to let go of the rope. And then what happens is the boy does three things. And I want to tell you what the three things the boy does because they are the three things that lead this boy home. And these same three things are three things that you can do tonight and find your way home. In fact, I'm not exaggerating when I say It's the only way home, these three things. And if you don't do these three things, you won't ever make it home. You won't ever make it home. So let me tell you what the three things are. First thing a boy does is he tells the truth. He tells the truth to God. He tells the truth. I love this. Take a look at verse 18. He says to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to my father. I'm just going to tell him the truth. I'm going to say, God, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. In the story, the father represents God. When's the last time you told God the truth like that about yourself? When's the last time you said those words to God? Where you, you took the pride and you put it down underneath some of your humility. And you just told the truth. You said, God, I need you. I was wrong. Friends, you can't get right with God until you admit that you're wrong. And some of you hate that. I hate it sometimes. We want to fight against this truth. But you can't get right with God until you admit, I was wrong. So you need to tell God the truth. It's called confession, where you just come and you say, I'm sorry. I need you. I want you in my life. I want you to lead me. I want you to be my Lord. I'm not talking about bargaining with God, where you kind of throw something out. Well, um, if you give me a girlfriend, I'll, I'll stop looking at porn. That's a bargain. That's not a prayer of confession. You give me more money, I'll start giving more. That's not, we're talking about just you humbling yourself before God. And what that boy did is he just told God the truth. What do you need to say to God? What do you need to tell God? I'm sorry. I've sinned against you. I've been stubborn. I've been wanting you to work for me instead of me being willing to work for you. I was wrong. I need you. I want your help. Tell God the truth. You can't get home without that. And the next thing the boy does is beautiful. He takes action. He takes action. Look at verse 20. He got up. He rehearsed his speech. That's what I'm going to do. <clears throat> he didn't just sit there and rehearse his speech. He got up and he went home. And you've got to sometimes take action. He didn't sit there in a pile of pity and shame and regret. And sorrow and just say, well, my life is, is a mess. I'm going to stay here. The boy did something. He took action. He went home. He didn't just feel bad. He didn't just write a big, long post on Facebook and see how many people would, would chime in about how terrible it was. He didn't go to some Bible study where they talked about it, but never did anything different. He didn't blame, he didn't blame his parents. He didn't blame, you know, he didn't blame Trump. He didn't blame the Russians. He didn't blame Obama or Hillary. He didn't blame the economy. He didn't blame his roommate. 
You know what he did? He got up and he walked home. What action do you need to take? What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing so you can take responsibility to say, I want my life to look different. I'm going to let go of the rope. I'm going to tell God the truth. I'm going to do one thing. Get around some people. Get some people around you. Take a baby step. Do whatever you need to do. But you can't get home if you don't take some action. You've got to do what only you can do so God can do what only God can do. He's waiting for you to come home. And the third thing this boy did, he told the truth, he took some action. Then you know what? He trusted God's goodness and favor. It's so easy for us to say, it's too late for me because of everything I've done, like God's going to be so angry. And the reason we feel that way or like, is because that's how we would feel. We think God's just as small as we are, but he's not. You've got to trust in the love and the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Because he's consistent and faithful, and you're his child. You know, when, I, when we, our kids were little, I was one of those bad dads that always bounced our kids, you know, like, hey, hey look at this party trick, you know, kind of stand them up and balance them, or, you know, kind of behind the back or whatever. And one time I was throwing Nathan up like this, I'm throwing him up, I'm throwing him up, and then he threw up. <laughs> and I'm slow motion, like up in the air, and all of a sudden he looks down, projectile, boo, boo, right down here, in my face and in my mouth like sour, rancid, half-digested milk. Thank you so much. What did I do? Everyone's busting out laughing. We had company over. I'm like, thank you so much. I passed the child off. I'm over to the sink. Tooey, blah, 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 blah. What did I do? How did I react to my son? Did I lecture him? Bad baby. Do not digest milk partially and then projectile vomit it in your dad's mouth ever again. Did I, is that what I did? No. I'm laughing with them as soon as I got my mouth clean. I didn't like it, but it didn't change for me how I felt about my son one bit, that moment or to this day. And that's exactly how God feels about you. His love for you. I mean, we have recently puked in God's face, all of us. He doesn't like it, but it doesn't change his love for you one bit. So you have to trust the goodness and the faithfulness of God. It is what it is. And the crazy part of the story is that this son had so puked in his father's face and dishonored him, he deserved by those rules in those days to be killed. But look at what verse 20 says. As this boy turned and headed home, saying, I'm just going to go back and ask Dad if I can work on the farm. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him because he was waiting for him. And he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. There wasn't any of this. If you walk out of this house, don't you ever come back. He ran, embraced that boy who still smelled like a pig, and he kissed him. No matter how far you go, how long you've been gone, that's the Father's love for you and for me. When Jesus threw his arms out on the cross, that was his way of throwing his arms out for you and me to come home. He died so we might live. He made his home here. The reason he came is so you could find your home with him. People say, oh, my life's wasted. It's too late. His father, when that boy came home, he's like, get the best robe. Get the best ring. Let's, let's have a party. Let's celebrate. Let's fill, kill the fatted calf. Let's party. Let's celebrate. Because it was a way of saying, your life's not over. There's some awesome stuff ahead. I got something great for your life. And that can happen for you. It can happen tonight. It happened for Kevin. Let Kevin tell you his own story. Watch the screen here.
Merry Christmas, Mountain. Six years ago, I was sitting where you're sitting, asking the same questions that you might be asking. That is, how did I get here and what am I doing here? Well, for me, six years ago, I was in the midst of a very difficult time in my life. I was making a lot of uh, very poor personal decisions that were hurting an awful lot of people. I was destroying my wife. I was alienating my children. Uh, it was a mess. My life was a complete disaster. Uh, and in the midst of that pain, my in-laws, Tom and Miriam Adams, uh, invited us to Christmas Eve service here at Mountain. And, uh, you know, living the life that I was living, the thought of coming to church was, was not very comforting uh, to me at that time, nor very attractive. Um, but we came, and just like you, we walked into the building, and we, we saw lights, and we heard sounds, and we, uh, we experienced a worship service like we had never experienced before. Uh, and that was fantastic. But about halfway through the service, uh, I noticed that I wasn't feeling very well, and I realized I need to get up and get out of here, run to the restroom and throw some water on my face and, and reset a bit. And uh, in that process, I was walking out along the back wall behind the sound booth, and sort of out of nowhere, uh, an usher named Lou Hall just popped out and said, Hey, buddy, are you lost? And I thought to myself, yes, and, and yes, yes, I'm, I'm lost. I can't find the restroom. And, and yes, I'm very lost. My life is a mess. And it was, it was at that moment I realized that God knew I was here. God knew I was at a Christmas Eve service at Mountain Christian Church. And that was both terrifying and comforting at the same time because I thought I was outside of where, where God would ever allow me to go to where he would have me back. And I thought there was no way God could ever accept me or love me again. Uh, but I found out very quickly through this place at Mountain Christian Church, that's just not the case. He, he used this community uh, to help us heal. He used this community to uh, put our lives back together again in such a way that, that, that now things are really moving in a, in a, in a great direction for our family. Uh, Marilyn and I, our marriage is fine. We've, we've healed. We've, uh, we've never been closer. Uh, our kids are doing great. Uh, and on all of that, because we simply started our journey home um, that Christmas Eve. So for you tonight, I would just like to encourage you to, to let you know that the fact that you're here is not an accident, okay? And also that, that God has something for you, uh, something very special for you. And also, I just hope you, 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 you accept the invitation to, to come home. So from the bottom of my heart and from my family, I wish you a Merry Christmas and welcome home. So, yeah, maybe those words sound kind of inviting to you. I hope that they do. Welcome home. Because we're all like sheep that wander, and we all long to be home. We're all like Kevin. We're all like that boy in the story that Jesus told. So here's my encouragement to you, is that you would know um, the same, same three steps avoided you can do. You can tell God the truth. I'm sorry, I need you, I want you. Take some action, turn toward God. And then just trust his love is going to be there to receive you. And if you're still breathing, it's not too late. Come home. I'm going to offer a prayer, and I invite you to pray along with me. And maybe tonight would be a historic night in your life with your relationship with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for breaking through to come to be among us in this earth so that we don't have to just die and rot. We can know we'll live forever with you 
and our ultimate home. And until then, God, will you help us to learn how to be at home with you on this earth through our faith and trust in you and the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. I pray for the one among us who's fighting and running. I pray for the one who thinks they need it the least. I pray that each of us and all of us, Lord, would, would come home and find in you our hope, our pet, our peace, and our rest. In Jesus' name, amen.